welcome to The Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. In this episode with Hazel Archer Ginsberg, producer of the blog Reverse Ritual, we find out more about the ancient roots of Easter and its modern applications to our inner work and personal lives. Stay tuned after the episode for the full story, The Hair in the Moon, inspired by Steiner. Hi, Hazel Archer Ginsberg. How are you? Laura, hello. It's springtime, you know. <laughs> it is springtime. It's springtime. Even in Chicago, it's springtime. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, you know, we, we have a beautiful, long spring. You know, things start out. It's just, it's so exciting. The little budlings coming up. It's just, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's still cold, but that's okay. That's okay. To be 90 degrees too soon. Thank you very mm. much. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, here we are. We're here to talk about Easter and Easter in sort of an um, esoteric perspective um, and in connection to the planet and the festival and the inner Easter and all those kinds of things. So I thought we could, um, you know, just start out with whatever you'd like to. Um, and thank you for sharing your thoughts on the darkness of the season when we were at Christmas and now here we are emerging again. Yeah, you know, when you look into the ancient mystery schools, there is revealed many prefigurings of our, our modern day Easter festival. You know, and a lot of it starts with the honoring of the vernal equinox, kind of just really begins there. So in Mesopotamia, Sumeria, Babylonia. So this is, we're going back, you know, like 5,000 years. The people celebrated the start of their new year at the time of the spring equinox. You know, even uh, the Zoroasterism, which was the religion in ancient Persia up until the advent of, of Islam, you know, they celebrated their new year called Nuruz or New Day when the light was equal, equal day, equal equal night, and then, of course, the light begins to be resurrected. So the Persian heroine of spring is the goddess Ishtar, and, of course, the name Ishtar means star. So, so these ancient peoples really had a connection with the, with the cosmic, uh, being the cosmic nature, being able to speak with the stars in a very strong way. And Ishtar also relates to the name Esther, which is the star star of the Jewish spring festival of Purim, right? So we see a lot of different um, festival, festival celebrations during the springtime. So Ishtar and Esther. And Esther, is it the Esther who um, marries the king and then saves her people because he doesn't know that she's Jewish? And is that the story? That's or the is story. It, okay, yeah, that's a pretty amazing story of courage that I've actually seen done uh, play down at a Waldorf school about that. Yeah. Okay. Very much about courage, you know, and in Ishtar, you know, that, that symbol that she is sort of taking into the, um, the Jewish tradition is all about this, this shining star, you know, and, and this ancient goddess had the symbols of, of the dove and the serpent and the, the double axe, right? So there's that strength, the symbol of the eight-pointed eight star. So mm. uh, her planet was Venus, and she was said to wear this rainbow necklace. And so the Persians really converted this, this rainbow into a bridge that, that led to the Mount of Paradise. 
So there's lots of beautiful myths and, and such. And in a little while, I actually want to um, tell a little bit, tell a little story, a little myth about the, the, you know, where the Easter Bunny comes from. So we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, let's, let's stay here in, in, in ancient Sumeria for a couple minutes because uh, we really, you know, back in those times, there were many, many shrines um, to this, this goddess Ishtar where the women especially would gather uh, to pray and to meditate, to socialize. And the night of the spring full moon was when they had their, their celebrations for spring in those temples. And for the Greeks, the god of, of the spring equinox was Dionysus. And of course, he's associated with the flowering plants and the fruitful vines. Mm. And he was, he was always said to be in pain during autumn and winter. Right? So this is sort of a, a symbol of death or, or hibernation. But on the spring equinox, he returns triumphantly. Of course, if you go to Ireland, the spring equinox was celebrated long before the arrival of the, of the Celtic tribes even. So the, the best known of the ancient Irish equinox temples, which is near Newgrange, uh, has a, a hundred foot long passage that accepts the sun on the morning of the spring and the autumn equinoxes. And there, there's this um, second older stone car in Equinox Temple, uh, where, you know, you follow the, the sunbeam on the morning of the equinoxes. It enters this passageway, which lights up the sacred geometry on this back stone inside of the temple. And the precise timing of this from a period over 6,000 years ago, it, it actually still works today. So That's incredible. Have you, have you been there? I, I want to go now. <laughs> No, me too. I know. We, we actually, my daughter and I were like, someday we'll go to Ireland. You know, we have a little Irish blood in us. And yeah. Let's go to the, the Emerald Island someday. <laughs> well, that would be an amazing thing to witness if you went at an at equinox uh, at yeah. the spring one, for sure. Wow, beautiful. Thanks. Of course, the, the German fertility goddess is Ostara. And by the way, this is where we get the name Easter from. So... Uh -huh. Estrogen, Ostara, you know, Estra, all of these names that are connected with uh, the fertility goddess. So this German fertility goddess, Ostara, mates with the solar god on the spring equinox. So there's sort of a correlation between the Annunciation, uh, where the angel Gabriel comes and speaks to the Virgin Mary, and that's how she conceives. So there's a correlation here. Because then, of course, nine months later, she gives birth to the child of light at the winter solstice. So a lot of connections between these ancient festivals. The, the Saxon festival for the, the Germanic uh, lunar goddess was held at the full moon after the spring equinox, just like our, our Easter celebrations. There's so much here. Yeah. 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 I'm just going down the line here because... Uh, Next, we could come to the Mayans of, of Central America, right? They really honored the, the vernal equinox. And so, I mean, really, if you look for 10th century, they, they've held these really unique celebrations using their ancient knowledge of the sunbeam. El Castillo, the name of their great pyramid, where the, the sun sets on its western face. So uh, we see this light and dark complementing each other, creating a really special pattern that 
appears like a, a diamond-backed snake descending the pyramid. You've seen pictures of that. No, I'm going to have to look that up. And I'm just thinking of, well, I'm, I'm looking at my window now at like the solar panels on the house down the hill from me. And I'm thinking, who does construction like this anymore where they would, you know, be capturing this this the, the sun and like, you know, having this like sort of shadow emerge that was a shape. I mean, this is really remarkable what, what they've done with that pyramid, what they did with that pyramid. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And they call it the return of the sun spirit. So that's, that's interesting. And of course they, this sun spirit looks like a serpent. You know, a lot of the ancient myths uh, see the serpent as a, a symbol of wisdom. And then if you move on into, into, to ancient Rome, so we're talking about 200 years before the birth of Christ, there's a wide range of what we call today the mystery cults. And of course, Steiner has a, a lot to say about that. But one in particular, uh, Adonis and Sibyl, uh, you know, the Sibyl, held their, their spring equinox rituals at the location today that we, we know of as St. Peter's on Vatican Hill. So it's wow. kind of interesting. Um, and Adonis was, was known, of course, by various names from Egyptian times. If you want to go back a little bit to the Egyptian times, we have the stories of Osiris. And uh, I mentioned Dionysus and uh, Tammuz and Orpheus. All of these are these, these solar gods that, that have this, this death and resurrection theme. And so with Adonis, this festival contained, of course, a ritual, death three days in the underworld, and then a resurrection. And a lot of these myths talk about uh, the mother of these solar gods being a virgin. Um, Adonis, for instance, was crucified on a pine tree, and his blood was spilled to redeem the earth. So this sun god was seen as both a, a sacrificial victim and a savior. You know, his death and rebirth were intended to, to bring a renewal to uh to life on earth mm. and then you know in, in judaism of course besides esther uh, and the festival of purim we see a connection with the passover feast right which corresponds to the vernal full moon and of course that's the time when um the ancient hebrews escaped from slavery in egypt and uh their main meal was uh, is, is unleavened bread and the, the sacrificial lamb. Even if you come to the Americas, in order of time, even though you know time and space get mixed up in all of this, <laughs> in the Americas, you know you see the the native Indian tribes honoring the spring equinox, um, creating these temple mounds, uh, landscape shaped mounds such as the Mystery Hill in, in Salem, New Hampshire. I don't know if you've ever been to some of these mounds. There's some here. No. In yeah. So, so in this particular case, there's these five standing stones and um, one sort of recumbent stone that, that are set in this sort of linear alignment that, that connects the sunrise, uh, again, with the spring and the autumn equinoxes. People really having a connection with um, the, the, the cosmic influences. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting. Now I'm thinking about like you know the plastic eggs at the at the you know grocery store, and <laughs> um, I wonder, and you know the Easter baskets and the, all these things, and I wonder how much people are connecting with um, 
the sun on, on, you know, around this time, um, around Easter time. I don't think that that's something people consciously do unless it's brought to their attention in this way, you know, that this, this, this is this strong connection to the, the sun, actual sun. Well, there, there is a real connection to the honoring of the dawn, right? The, the goddess Aurora, um, different names for this, this being of the dawn. Well, of course, there's a, this connection with, with Cori and Persephone. Persephone's return from the underworld, you know, where she's, she has been ruling as the, the queen throughout the winter. And now with the dawning of the spring, she's reunited once more with her, her mother, Demeter, who is the goddess of earthly renewal. Yeah, you know, uh, Rudolf Steiner actually, in working with the calendar of the soul, gave indications to the artists that he was working with and told them to watch the sunrise every day for a year to see, you know, and to just experience what was happening uh, each, each day when the sun was in a different, different place in the sky, different constellation, etc., and to just feel into the energies of that and to create art to express what they were uh, receiving from the spiritual world. So that, that could be something we could take on. I mean, a lot of people, they go to sunrise ceremonies, right? For, mm-hmm. for, for the sunrise service or whatever. Yeah, that's true. It's, right, right. Like midnight mass, uh, the sunrise service. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe this is a, a way, you know, to remember that, that ancient celebration of the dawn goddess. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it's certainly, a, you know, an acknowledgement of our human need to participate. In, in the resurrection of the new sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in speaking about, uh, you know, th- those plastic Easter eggs and this ceremony <laughs> and everything, you know, I wanted to sort of bring in this, yeah, that image of the Easter hare and, uh, you know, how profound this image is and, you know, where the heck did that come from? Right, right. right. You know, of course, I mean, you could be logical and say, oh, yeah, well, the, you know, the, the, the little bunnies are born and they're sort of a symbol of fertility and such. Um, of course, they're connected with, uh, with, with um, the goddess Venus. They're, they're um, connected with, with wisdom in that way. But they're also connected in the Middle Ages with the symbol of alchemy, which, uh, which is very interesting. Hmm. So the human being, you know, really... Uh, who decides to dedicate themselves to this alchemy of inner development, right? Being able to uh, transform themselves, transform their own being. Uh, so we, we can all be an alchemist. We can really uh, work on ourselves to, to, to be uh, able to think in a moral and social way. Um, and, and there's this connection with this image of the hair who then, you know, freely gives up uh, that which it was given to create this new body. And so it's sort of this paragon of, uh, you know, symbol of the, of the alchemist. And, um, you know, we can really see it as uh, really being a, a connection with the earth changes and stuff and, and the, the objectivity that we see in the wintertime where we're sort of connected more with the nerve forces and our thinking processes. You know, in the spring, we're experiencing more of this idea of this re- regeneration. And so it goes more into the will, right? We start to, to feel our will. 
and um, there's this regenerating element, uh, sort mm. of uh, calling into focus the what the alchemist sees in connection with the moon and the embryo, and, you know, the developing through these moon cycles. You know how how that's all sort of connected to the the uh, moisture that the moon brings. Hmm. Okay. So the alchemy and the hair and the will at this time. I, I, I've been reading some of the calendar of the soul verses. And for people that don't know, it's a book that um, Rudolf Steiner wrote with verses for every week of the year. And I feel like there's been uh, this really interesting way of talking about the will at this time where it's like this sort of enlightened will that comes through in these verses. So I, I'm, it's possible I'm getting that wrong, but I, I feel like that's been my perception of it. It's like, here's, here's the light and here, and now how do you, now you take it into the world. Is that, am I getting that right? Or, um, that's well, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting because be, when we do, when there is this out breath that's happening where we start to have this, um, movement from the inner life that happens in the wintertime to the spring, we actually start to, 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 to lose our sense of connection to ourselves and we become more connected to the, the cosmic uh, energies, which takes us out of ourselves. So we really need to, you know, activate in a conscious way, our will forces so that we don't get too drawn out and we are mm. able to you know, do the work of planting and, um, harvesting and, and such that that happens as we go through through the year right because you could just get you know like in the throes of summer where you're just you know going to lie in your hammock and you know just revel in the in the sunshine that that pool could come well people say spring fever right yeah, and that's right. and spring cleaning I mean those are two things where there's a lot of energy there um and sometimes there's there's some goodwill around that and sometimes it's just like a big party <laughs> right yeah well you know it's it's interesting to to you know continue with this metaphor of the the alchemist because there's this sort of polarity that you see with um connection with with these these forces of regeneration you know you see uh the antipathy uh you know, the, the, the sort of shadow side of the hair is the hound. So we have this polarity in the hair and the hound. So the hound is, you know, an animal of the senses, right? It's barking at the full moon, while the hair is really kind of just this metabolic animal, sort of gambling, dancing, you know. And of course, the hound is forever hounding the hair, <laughs> right? But, but there's this, uh, you know, sort of back and forth of, you know, degeneration following regeneration. And the hair is really the symbol of nature's regenerative forces. And the hair, you know, this idea of the Easter Bunny bringing the eggs, right? So there's this, this idea that, well, you know, of course we know that the, a bunny doesn't lay an egg. <laughs> bunny being this magical creation, you know, brings and hides these beautifully colored eggs in the bushes for the children to find, right? And, you know, this ancient lord, you know, derived from this original wisdom that the world came from an egg. Right? Mm. This egg has this brightly colored uh, picture of, of the world imagination. 
And so, you know, the ancient wisdom says, yeah, when Easter comes, we can seek the brightly colored world picture, the heavenly food, right? The, the heavenly egg that the, that the children, you know, those of us that are young at heart are searching for this world egg, this brightly colored picture. And, um, you know, so that we can stand not at the empty grave, but, but at this place of resurrection. Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, I just um, was talking with some friends in Atlanta, um, which is the location for our next uh, annual conference for the Anthroposophical Society. And we were talking about these two images of, um, you know, from the, the Christian story of Christ on the cross and then the, the resurrection piece. And we read this passage from Steiner basically saying that if you focus on the cross, you're missing the, the real story, which is the, the resurrection piece. And so I think, you know, I'm thinking of when I was young and um, I would go to my granny's house and she had, um, you know, Christ on the cross. And, and like, she would tell me like when I was naughty, she'd be like, he's watching you. <laughs> I would look up there and there's someone on the cross crucified, you know, that's kind of a, a scary image. Um, and also important in, in, in these stories, but um, I, I just am appreciating what you're saying about the resurrection. I also had a friend say to me the other day that's not really connected to a spirituality, um, maybe would consider himself an atheist, was just like, oh, yeah, uh, sort of said, you know, like made a joke about resurrection and, and death and how could you actually be born again? And I was like, in a resurrection... <laughs> <laughs> sort of gave it back to him like like don't you you know how how you think about this is is personal to you um but there's another way of thinking about it so i don't know maybe maybe you're planning to talk a little bit more about those two images and about resurrection um and personal resurrection uh but i i just wanted to say that yeah those are some of the things that have been i've been noticing lately and have been around me yeah and i think we really you know there is this this idea of being able to bury our preconceived ideas, you know, that sometimes we have to let go of things that don't serve us anymore and something has to die, you know, so that what really is supposed to come through can, can rise up from that. So, so there's a picture of, of renunciation in this as well. You know, we have to give something up to get something better, you know, and of course, if we really look through, um, you know, the cycle of the seasons, we see how things shift and change and how, um, for instance, at Christmas, it's really a festival of inspiration, right? We get these, these angel messages that say, okay, you know, unto you is born this day, you know, a savior, you know, and, and, and of course, Easter is this, this festival of imagination. Mm. And so, so we have to take, take the inspiration that we received of like what's being born. And then we have to really give it and fill it out with this imagination. And of course, at St. John's Tide, we really have to immerse ourselves in this selflessness of nature. And then when we, we, uh, we come into Michaelmas, you know, that's the time of action. So right now, uh, before we come to the fall, we have to start to build up those real forces so that, you know, during the, the time of harvest, during the, the autumn, we can actually... Uh, be prepared to to do what we have to do to take action. So I like what you're saying. It's imagination 
And then <clears throat> around St. John's, which is in June, there's like this, um, un, un, the selflessness of nature and this giving and, and this gratitude. And then, yeah, go ahead. Right. No, just the, it, it, that's the intuition. So we're, we're making mm. a connection between imagination then it, that transforms into initiation or intuition. And um, then that gives us the strength to, to, uh, to take action. Mm, that's great. So tell me about this Easter paradox. Well, you know, the cosmic dance is fluid, right? Which is why Easter is a movable feast. You know, Steiner gave us indications which invite us to participate in this cosmic and earthly turning point of time. So at the time of the Easter paradox in 1924, Rudolf Steiner gave lectures on both the cosmic and the ecclesiastical dates. Oh. So uh, it, that's, to me, really, really quite, quite interesting. You know, because, of course, there, there are really kind of two different ways of thinking in these two groups. Because uh, during the cosmic Easter, he spoke to the workers. Hmm. So this was uh, in March, on the Sunday after the first full moon, after the spring equinox. He gave lectures, uh, star wisdom, moon religion, sun religion was one of them. And another one entitled Easter as a chapter in the mystery wisdom of man. And it's so interesting because in those lectures to the workers, he talked about how in Roman times, the star wisdom had been, you know, had really been lost. And that Julian the apostate, tried to introduce it. You know, he was a, a Caesar. Um, he came from a, a very much a pagan background. But, you know, they murdered him, basically, because they, they didn't want him to, to bring that, those old mysteries back again. It just wasn't right. And so he talks about how with the advent of uh, the, the Christ, that this, this impulse brought the ancient star religion to life again, but in a new form teaching that the, the sun god must now have his place upon the earth, accessible to all humanity, and not just the initiates. But, of course, you know, the powers that be, you know, the Roman church, they were pretty much denouncing this as superstition. You know, they were calling it heresy. And um, Stoddard talked about how people were, were expected to believe only in the external historical event you know, that what, we, what we saw, the historical uh, presence in Palestine, right, in, in the form that the church proclaimed it. So consequently, the church became, you know, very much the supreme authority in the matter of how and what people should think, which pretty much ignored the whole cosmic setting of the Easter event. So it's interesting that that's what Steiner talked about to the workers at that right. time. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. He also, at that same time, during that March time, he's, he also gave the Eurythmy forms for the foundation stone meditation. And he also gave what he called the young doctor's course. And then to the Anthroposophical Society around the Ecclesiastical Easter of 1924. Now, these are the lectures that most people are talking about. Oh, you know, he gave these lectures on, on Easter 1924. Well, that was to the other Pasophical Society, a different group of souls. He gave the, the lecture cycle called the Easter Festival in the Evolution of the Mysteries, which was so interesting because 
it was really talking about how in order to really understand the Easter festival, we have to recognize all of the things I was talking about before, all of those customs and sacred ceremonies associated with the ancient mysteries. Because that was really what was speaking into the hearts of human beings for centuries in the course of human evolution. And so he went on to talk about the ancient mysteries and this festival of death, lying in the grave, resurrection, which was enacted at the autumn season in the initiation in the rites of Adonis, which I talked about earlier. Right. So it wasn't in the spring, it was in the autumn that they celebrated these festivals. Huh. What he said was, and this is so interesting, that in the course of evolution, the human being became more and more less able to penetrate into the spiritual. They were losing the inner understanding, which once told them that when outer nature begins to die, the life of the spirit can then truly be seen as a resurrection. So it was no longer possible for the autumn to be the time of the resurrection festival. The human being now needs the support of material things, right? The church, it needs the support of what springs forth in nature. The human being needs to connect the resurrection festival with the force of the seed, which is resurrected in outer nature. It needs the support of this external thing, right? It needs to to see how the plants are springing out of the earth, how the sun increases in strength, how light and warmth increase once more. So humanity needed this resurrection in nature in order to celebrate the thought of resurrection. Gotcha. They needed that outer prompt. And so Easter would have been in autumn is what you're saying. So we've have, we have like all these different pictures, right? We've got the, the Easter that coincides with the equinox and the moon. And then we've got the Easter that's according to the calendar. And then we've got this other spiritual conception of Easter um, as connected to Adonis. Is that what you said? Which would be more in the autumn. But, right. um, but, but because of where we are in our evolution and connection with spirituality, we need the force of the seed, which of course we see in spring. Thank you. That's a really cool picture. Yeah. But but what's interesting is that sort of, you know, that that imagination from the autumn now is the seed that forms the modern festival of Mykonos, which is a bridge from the past to the future. Right? So, of course, that's what we do in the autumn now. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll definitely be talking again. Well, let me just end with this one quote from, from that lecture that he gave the Anthroposophical Society. He said, Anthroposophy itself must become like an inner festival of resurrection for the human soul. It must bring an Easter mood into humanity's world conception. This will indeed be possible if it is understood how the thought of the ancient mysteries can live on in the true Easter thought. Thanks for joining us today on The Anthroposopher. Stay tuned for our next episode. So yeah, I wanted to share this, um, this tale that uh, Rudolf Schoener talks about in, in some of his lectures 
that um, one of his close colleagues, Walter Johannes Stein, sort of rewrote and, um, and gave us in his, his work with uh, the mysteries of, of Merlin, actually. But there's this great story how, you know, and it's connected to the Buddha, which is interesting. Rudolf Steiner saw backstage uh, Nora, which is the wife of Walter Stein. <clears throat> she was kind of sitting there sort of preoccupied and, and a little bit down. And he basically just kind of shows up and stands there before her and, and says, just out of the clear blue sky, have you seen the hair in the moon? You know, and of course, you know, she perks right up and her mood quickly changes to, to one of wondering and awe. And, and of course he laughs and so does she. And then he says again, you know, have you seen the hair in the moon? <laughs> and, you know, she's looking really quite baffled at this and doesn't know what to say. And then he laughs with such warmth and, and energy that, that all her, her sorrow just disappears. And, and he says, yes, you have to keep a good lookout. You have to go out and see the hair in the moon. And he just sort of gives her a friendly nod and, and disappears. You know, this, this memory just stayed with her for so long. And she, she told that to her husband. And so then he, he took this, this piece that um, Steiner wrote briefly about in the Gospel of St. Luke and uh, created this, this story called The Hare in the Moon, A Buddhist Tale Renewed. So we all settled in for a little, little story time? Oh, yes, I can't wait, Hazel. Okay, <laughs> you ready for it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Once there was a wise king. He died and entered heaven. The angels led his soul before the throne of God, and God said to him, My king, you have led the people of earth in goodness and in loyalty. You shall enter into eternal bliss. Speak what you desire and I shall grant your wish. Well, the wise king, whose soul stood before God, answered, Lord, have mercy on me, a frail mortal. No one is good save God alone. And I feel sorely how little I've been able to do for the furtherance and freedom of humankind. But if it pleases you, send me back to earth that I may learn to do my task better. But grant me one thing out of the abundance of your might. Give me the gift to transform myself into any shape that I desire. And so then God said, go in peace. And when the wise man came down to earth again. He changed himself. And on one side of this forest lay the mountains. And on the other, there was a river. And on the third side lay a village. Now the wise king lived in the forest and had three friends there. They too were wise like him. They too had received the gift of God to cloak themselves in an inconspicuous form. One took on the form of a monkey. The second, that of a jackal and the third, that of an otter. They never revealed themselves in their human form to other people. And so no one in the whole country knew what wonderful human beings those animal forms concealed. So during the day, each went out to seek food in their own particular terrain. The monkey went to the trees of the forest, the jackal to the fields, and the otter to the water. And after their day's work, they would 
meet together in concealment. And only then would they take on their true form. In the evening, the hare would teach them, telling them of his life, of his talks with God and with the angels, and of his former lives upon the earth. And he would say, to the poor man who begs of you, you should grant his request from the fullness of your knowledge. You should keep the commandments of God and bear patiently your renunciation and your fasting. They took his teachings to heart and each of them repaired to his retreat and remained there. Thus time passed. And one day, when the wise king in the form of a hare was leaping across the fields, he looked up and saw the moon. And because he saw that the moon in its course through the sky had almost consumed itself and that all that was left of it was a very thin golden sickle in which the heavenly bread lay like a dark disc with a silvery edge, he knew that the time for fasting had come. Thus he saw the heavenly bread prepared and knew that a man could only make himself worthy to receive it by foregoing all earthly food. Therefore, he said to his friends, tomorrow is the day when the heavenly bread is to be eaten. It is a day of fasting and no one must eat food. You three shall keep the fast by remembering our teaching, for you have vowed solemnly to keep the commandment. Whoever follows this law of love shall receive heavenly reward. If a beggar approaches you, give him of your food, but you yourselves must wait until afterwards to eat. They declared that they were ready to follow this rule and each remained in his home. Early next morning, the wise man who had the form of the otter went out. He went to his usual place, the banks by the great river, and there a fisherman had just caught seven scarlet fishes, tied them together on a string, and covered them with sand by the bank. Then he went fishing further on down the river and caught many more fish. Meanwhile, the otter smelled the fish that had been buried and scraped away the sand and pulled them out. Then he called out three times in a loud voice, Does anyone own these fishes? When no owner appeared, the otter picked up the loop in his teeth and took the fishes home. Only when it is time to taste food shall I eat them, he thought. Then he lay down to ponder the teaching of the wise hare. The jackal too went out to look for food. In the game warden's hut, he saw two spits with meat and a pot of milk. Three times he cried out, does this belong to anyone? And when he did not see any owner, he put the cord of the pot around his neck, seized the spit in his mouth and carried them off into the bush where he had his home. There he sat down, lay down himself and thought, only when it is time to taste food shall I eat them. Then he pondered the teaching of the wise hare. And the monkey too went into the forest and took a bunch of mangoes from a tree and carried them back home into the bush. Only when it is time to taste food shall I eat these, he thought, and lay down to think about the teaching of the wise hare. Now the wise hare, however, did not go out. After he had spent the day deep in thought, he lay down saying to himself, only when it is time again to taste food 
shall I go out and eat some grass? To be sure, if beggars should come to me, I shall have nothing to offer them. But the food which I eat, I cannot offer to beggars, for they cannot eat the grass upon which I feed, nor have, have I any rice or anything else to eat. Then he grew sad because he could not offer a beggar any food. But he comforted himself with the thought, if a beggar comes to me, I shall give him the flesh of my own body for food. Thus reassured, the wise hare fell asleep. But he did not sleep like other creatures who shut their eyes when their eyelids began to droop. His resolve to sacrifice himself, if it should be necessary, had the effect of allowing him to sleep with open seeing eyes. And so in sleep he saw the dark disk of the moon. But now he could look right through the moon and he saw the far side which we humans never see. The far side was brightly lit and there was a shining white stone. This stone was the throne of God and the hare saw God sitting on his bright throne. Now the wise hare saw that the throne of God and the seat of the angels had grown warm through the power of his vow to sacrifice in love. The moon, which otherwise is icy cold, grew warm. When God noticed this, he rejoiced over the hare and decided to put the hare king to the test. He came down from heaven to earth, and in the guise of a poor man, he came to where he dwelled. When the hare saw him, he said, poor man, why are you standing there? Give me, said the supplicant, only a little of the food that feeds you, so that I may be strengthened by your power to endure the fast, that what is divine in the world may be strengthened. Then the wise hare spoke, Oh, man of God, you have done well to be strengthened in body by me. Behold, I shall give you a gift such as I have never given before. But you must not destroy the life of that which nourishes you. So go out, seek wood and kindle fire and tell me when it is done. I will sacrifice to you my body. I will leap into the fire. And when the flames have roasted my flesh, you shall eat of my meat, nourishing yourself with the divine will. And the wise hare also spoke thus, Lo, I am the food for journey. Seek not earthly nourishment. Take me for your wayfare. As I am consumed in you, on the white stone, the new name I shall glorify. When God, in the guise of the poor beggar, heard these words, he made a fire of coals with his supernatural power and called the wise king, who was sitting humbly and lowly before him in the guise of a hare. The hare then rose from his bed of grass and herbs and went to the coals. But first he said, if in my fur there should perhaps be little animals, he said compassionately, they should not be killed. So he shook himself thrice to free the lice. Then he offered his body as a sacrifice. He leapt happily into the burning coals. But 
the same miracle that had warmed the icy moon and the throne of God and of the angels now cooled the fire. The fire could not even warm the skin of the wise king in the lowly form of the hair. It was as if he leapt into pure white light. Then he turned to the divine wayfarer and said, the fire which you have kindled is cold. It cannot even warm the skin of my body. What does this mean? The wise king answered the divine pilgrim, you have recognized me. I am he who has led you into the ordeal by fire and you have prevailed. Then the wise king, standing as the humble hare, gave forth a lion's roar. Oh, holy pilgrim on earth, even if the whole universe should try me, my goodwill shall not be spent since it flows out in love. After these words, he gave forth again the lion's roar. Wise king, said the divine pilgrim, your power in the doing of good shall be known for a whole earth cycle. Then he seized upon the rocky frame of the earth and with the hot steam of rock that had melted in his divine love, he drew a picture of the hair in the disk of the moon. Then he bade farewell to his wise king who had shown the greatness of his sacrificing love and laid him softly upon his bed there in the deep forest and ascended to his resplendent throne. The four wise men still live together today, fulfilling the spiritual requirements of humankind, reading in the stars the signs of the times, and they shall live eternally in divine bliss, serving in freedom until the new sun is born within us all. What a beautiful story. Wow, thank you, Hazel, for sharing that. I'd never heard that one before. Really well, incredible. I think it's a good, good metaphor for this idea of how we can all give something of ourselves. And that that's, that's what this, this idea of renunciation, which can lead to the resurrection, is about for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. And I'm so glad that we got, you know, we know so much more about Easter now. I know so much more about the history and the goddesses and then this beautiful story of um, sacrifice, which means, which I understand to mean make holy and um, make sacred. And I think that that's really beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, I hope so. Okay. The seasons are always spinning, so there's always another chance to commune. There sure is. Okay, talk to you soon. Peace. Peace. Mm -hmm.